I'm Rachel. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to One Person's Trash is Our Treasure. We're a podcast where we talk about stuff, like media that people don't think is important, but actually is. Or media that people don't really think can spark an intelligent conversation. Like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. (laughs) Which is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about a web series made by Geek and Sundry called Critical Role. It's where a group of voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons. They stream live every Thursday on Twitch and YouTube. They just started streaming on YouTube. They actually just started a brand new campaign that you can jump in with if you want. It's a couple episodes in. As of the air date, it will be three episodes in. And it's it's real good. I'm super into all the new characters. I'm actually, like, really ins- creatively inspired by all of the new characters. So check it out. It's a really fun show with really fun people. And it's super interesting to talk about. So we're going to talk about their first campaign. Yeah, and part of the reason that we wanted to talk about this is because as far as media forms go, the big ones that people find relevant and worth talking about from a critical standpoint, are Mm -hmm. books, movies, and TV shows, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't get us wrong. We love those forms of media. Obviously. Yeah. But with the internet and media as it is now, you know, media is expanding so much. And I think web series really need to be given more credit. And what's so unique about Critical Role is that a narrative forms out of this sort of long-form improv mm-hmm. that's going on between the dungeon master and the... His eight players. His eight players. Yeah. And that's really cool. I think it's a really, really interesting look at active communal storytelling. Yes. Um, I Which I'm, I'm obsessed with different types of storytelling. I say this in the episode. And different tools that you can use to... to facilitate storytelling mm-hmm. and i think that role-playing games and in this case specifically D are really interesting ways to tell stories yeah absolutely so speaking of D, <laughs> dungeons and dragons let's explain a little bit it's about that <laughs> um it's an rpg which stands for role-playing game so the thing about dungeons and dragons is that it all takes place in your imagination mm-hmm which sounds super nerdy, and it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has always been like looked down upon in circles that aren't already interested in it. Yeah, and in recent years, it has like gained popularity with things like Critical Role and you know Harmon Quest and the Community D and D episode. Yeah, <laughs> which is a really great um, both of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you, I mean, it old school is played with a pen and paper at your table with your friends. Yep. Uh, and it's, that's pretty much what it is. Technology supplements that sometimes, but it's, it's dice and a pencil. Yep. So the players, whenever they perform an action, roll different types of dice to simulate randomness mm-hmm. and help the dungeon master determine the outcome of certain situations. That's kind of how the game works. And it's really fun. And even just talking about it makes me want to play. But we're not talking about the mechanics in this episode. We are not. We are talking about story, narrative, and characters. Speaking mm-hmm. of characters, every player has their own character that they personally created. Mm-hmm. They picked a, a species and uh, a job, basically, for yeah. their character. And those characters interact. Uh And what's kind of fascinating about Dungeons and Dragons as opposed to 
other video games or even just other tabletop games that are not role-playing games Mm -hmm. is that the sky's the limit, seriously. Yeah. Literally anything can happen. Yeah, because it's all in your imagination. So... If you like what you hear today and you want to hear more of us, you can find us on our website, onepersonstrashisourtreasure.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at Optiot. That's O-P-T-I-O-T. And we're on Instagram at Optiot Pod. We also have a Tumblr. Nothing's on it yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Optiot.tumblr.com. Yep. On with the show. So today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about a web series called Critical Role. This is a web series put on by Geek and Sundry, which is Felicia Day's web company, where a group of friends who are voice actors play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. So if you like games at all, uh, tabletop games, role-playing games, D&D, then this might be something that would interest you. It was actually their home game that they played privately because they're like friends and they played a game of D&D together. And then uh, one of the players who knew Felicia Day, Ashley Johnson, they had a conversation about the game. I guess it became kind of infamous and in like the, uh, not not in a bad way. <laughs> it became kind of like a thing that, that people knew about like in the in the VO community. And um, yeah, and, and Felicia asked if they would be willing to play on stream. They discussed it and they have now been playing for, I think it's over two years at this point. I should have looked it up. I did not. At the time of this recording, this week, they're starting their new campaign. They had been playing the same campaign for two years on stream and for like two years before they started streaming, which they just recently at the end of uh, 2017 wrapped up. And now they're going to start a new campaign. But we're not going to talk about that one. We're talking about the old one, fraught with bad audio and uh, (laughs) when they were still kind of getting to know what it was like to stream that kind of thing live to a group of people. Uh Rachel and I are nerds. Yes. And we have been wanting to play D&D for like years. Mm Mm-hmm. And for a while, like, when when we were younger, it wasn't plausible. Like, we didn't know anybody who knew how to play. And it can be a hard hard thing to break into if you don't know anybody who can, like, run a game. And also, you know, some of the materials are kind of expensive. But we had been wanting to play for so long. And Critical Role was kind of my first, I want to say tangible, even though that wouldn't technically be accurate experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Critical Role is how I learned how to play, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't the one playing. And it was because of that that I bought myself my first set of D&D books, and uh, we play now. Yeah. Just to go back to what you were saying about the audio quality and like the, the quality of the show in the beginning, mm-hmm. if anyone listening is interested in checking this out, I actually highly recommend you listen to the podcast version of the show because they've been, they're still in the process, I believe, of releasing episodes. The nice thing about the podcast version is that you get all of the content without any of the breaks they take or the intro that they play. 
And I also am pretty sure they edit down some of the instances of them all being like, oh, okay, so like, wait, do I add this together? I think, yeah, a little bit. I I was listening (laughs) earlier this week and yeah, a little bit, I think. Which Um, makes it more listenable. I can totally understand that. Critical Role is a hard show to watch and I fully recognize that. (laughs) It's a commitment if you say you're going to watch Critical Role because they stream every Thursday for... um, It's supposed to be a three-hour show. It usually ends up being a four-hour show. And they have a lot of episodes already. So it's, like, I I fully recognize that it's a huge commitment. It's just, um, I think it's something that's really interesting. Because I'm really into different types of storytelling. Like, the other media. The less-than-mainstream you know, everybody loves TV shows and movies and stuff, but like, you know, podcasts can facilitate storytelling and web series and, you know, like a, a bunch of different things. And I think that this, for me personally, because of how nerdy I am, it's a really interesting form of storytelling. And I think they do a really good job with what they are doing specifically. Uh-huh. If you listen to any other, like there are like actual play podcasts, there's Acquisitions Incorporated, there's The Adventure Zone, which I love, 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 love. There's a show called Friends at the Table. There are a couple, uh, hashtag Lady Pod Squad, uh, shows, Dungeons, Dice, and Everything Nice. The Broadswords is also a, an all-female D&D podcast. So, like, this is a genre. and it's- Oh, and um, there's also the show Harmon Quest. Yes, 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 exactly. And that's a great example because all of these shows do something different in the way they tell the stories they're telling. Yes. Um, I-, I think that what The Adventure Zone does is so different from what Critical Role does in terms of how they tell the story they're telling. Mm-hmm. Even though they should be very similar mediums. They're both heavily relying on audio mm-hmm. and using Dungeons and Dragons as a storytelling tool. Yeah. And I'm just fascinated with D&D as a storytelling tool. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I've noticed about Harmon Quest, the first time I watched it mm-hmm. was before we had started our podcast. Uh-huh. Watching it now, I can really see where they've made edits. And that is so fascinating to me, having played D&D myself mm-hmm. and knowing what a mess it can be mm-hmm. to improv a story out like that yeah. and for them to get cohesive episodes out of it. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the raw footage of their sessions mm-hmm. is a lot longer than 22 minutes. Right. As evidenced by the fact that Critical Role streams live. Yeah. And so if you're not listening to the podcast, there's no editing that happens. Uh And I think that they're fairly good, especially in recent episodes, they're fairly good about, like, moving things along. You know, they're all performers. They're all, like, aware Mm -hmm. of that kind of aspect of... Yeah. Because there is an aspect of theater to even just playing D&D at home in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For, like, for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But that obviously is multiplied when you're playing it on the internet. So did you want the focus of our conversation to be how the story progresses? Like the story, the narrative itself? Yeah, I don't... Okay. I, I'm i fascinated with everything about Critical Role. Mm-hmm. I love the mechanics of role-playing games and the, like I could talk about that, but I don't think that that is what we... Us talking strategy isn't as interesting as us talking about the organic narrative that comes out of a group of eight people playing a game together. Okay. 
we should mm-hmm. introduce the characters. Yes, I was about to say the same yeah. thing. <laughs> so if you've never played D&D before, first you need someone to run the game. And they're the person that decides everything. And they are God. They're God. Yep. <laughs> they also play all of the other characters, the NPCs, non-player characters. And they play all of the villains. And mm-hmm. it's a tough job. Rachel and I have both done it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So... Matt Mercer is the group's DM, and he's a remarkably skilled DM. Yes. I feel comfortable saying (laughs) he is a very skilled DM. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, that as Jen said, it is a tough job. It's so much more than you could even understand unless you've done it yourself. Yeah. You have to be able to come up with potentially an entire town on the spot. Yeah. I mean, it's part improv. All D&D is part improv, but especially mm-hmm. dungeon mastering. <laughs> yeah. Like, you kind of have to keep some stuff in your back pocket at all times. You're juggling a lot. You're also referee. And Matt Mercer does it in a way that makes it look easy. <laughs> yeah, he really does. And, you know, like, he's such a good guy, and he's really good about being like, hey, I make mistakes too. And he does, but, like, everybody does. Mm-hmm. Nobody, not even someone like Chris Perkins, the DM of Acquisitions Incorporated, which is done by the actual Wizards of the Coast company. Mm-hmm. Like, I- I'm sure even he would brain fart on a rule every once in a while. Like, Yeah, I'm sure there's there's a moment every once in a while when he's like, wait, does that spell do this? Yeah. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. Like-, <laughs> like, sometimes you have to read the wording, and it's a very, yeah. like, it can be a very technical game, depending on how you play it. But it's just, he does. He makes it look easy. Mm-hmm. So he leads the charge. Mm-hmm. Then there's Grog, who is a Goliath barbarian, which means that he is half giant Mm -hmm. and he hits things. (laughs) And that's what he does. He rages. He rages. And he's got a very low intelligence. Yes. And he's hilarious. And he's played by Travis Willingham, who Mm -hmm. is so great. He's a giant teddy bear. He is. I couldn't think of the correct word. There isn't one. He's a joy. Mm -hmm. And he's everybody's biggest cheerleader. He really is. When it comes to role playing, specifically with Grog, you know, there there are aspects of the game that Grog could be kind of a dicey character to play in terms of etiquette. Mm -hmm. And Travis walks the line between being uproariously funny and obnoxious so well. I love him. Yep. Then you have Marisha Ray, who plays Keyleth, who is a half-elf druid. Her backstory is that she's part of this tribe called the Ashari, Mm -hmm. and she's basically the future leader of the Air Nation of the Ashari, and (laughs) she she has to go on a quest called the Aramente to visit the other ashari tribes and she's basically the avatar (laughs) i have been wanting rachel to watch this show for like a really long time and i'm just thank you for this podcast now we can end it because it's it's been like a long year was this your goal the whole time (laughs) this was my secret goal the entire time to finally get you to watch critical role and now that i've succeeded bye bye everybody bye (laughs) Okay. After that, there's Tiberius, who is a dragonborn sorcerer. Dragonborns are basically just dragon people. Yeah. He's an interesting character. He's kind of racist. It's He's a very interesting <laughs> character, in my opinion. He um, is. 
He comes from a really uh, like proper family, and so that informs like a lot of his character. He's he's very like bumbling, absent-minded professor. And it mm-hmm. does make for a really interesting character. And Tiberius is played by Orion Akaba. And then there's Percy, who is kind of a prince. Like he's he's kind <laughs> of like a long lost prince of a kingdom whose entire royal line was slaughtered, and he is the lone survivor who kind of went off on his own and invented the gun. Yep. <laughs> He's he's the only human in the group. He's played by Talis and Jaffe. So next is one of everybody's favorites. Let's be real. Pike, the gnome cleric. She's basically the healer of the group. And she's a tiny little gnome. And Mm -hmm. she's the sweetest thing you've ever seen in your life. She's very cute. She is played by Ashley Johnson, who you might know from NBC's Blindspot. If you play video games and you have played The Last of Us, she did the voice and motion capture for Ellie. So yeah, she's she's the group's healer. Next is my favorite fictional character of all time. And I know that sounds like I'm being dramatic. <laughs> and Rachel is looking at me like I'm a lunatic. But you are. <laughs> I... Uh, we'll talk about it. He's my favorite <laughs> fictional character of all time. His name is Scanlan Shorthalt. He is a gnome bard. He's played by Sam Regal. Bards and gnomes, but bards specifically as a class in Dungeons and Dragons are um, not looked on with respect, typically. (laughs) But Sam Regal is one of the funniest men on the face of the earth, and he plays Scanlan as a musical bard so well. Scanlan's a bit of a scamp, He's kind of like a womanizing yeah. rogue. Yep. Uh, but lovable. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely a goofball, but uh, much in the way that we were saying that Travis, who plays Grog, the Goliath Barbarian, mm-hmm. much in the way that Travis skirts the line skirts the line between being hilarious and obnoxious, Scanlan does as well. His character has a lot of potential to be obnoxious. And he's not. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he has a high comedic IQ and he has a strong understanding of when there is time to make a joke and when being ridiculous would just kind of be annoying for everyone else playing. Because, you know, if it sounds like we're taking this game very seriously by saying, (laughs) by saying, you know, you have to, you, you can't joke during certain points, you are in it to like complete a specific task within the game. Yeah. And doing so is where the fun comes in. So when the someone in your party is inhibiting that task from happening, yeah. It ruins the fun. Yeah. You know? There and you know, that's not the only thing that can ruin the fun and there's certainly like table etiquette is something that really fascinates me, but yeah. it doesn't really matter. So yeah, I think Sam does a really good job. I think he's a really considerate player. Mm-hmm. And I love him. <laughs> there I said it. <laughs> um <laughs> And I'll move on from him because if I don't, then I never will. Next is Vax. Vax is a half-elven rogue. He likes the color black. Like, if he could, he'd probably paint his nails black to match his soul. I bet he does. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love love Vax. He is actually a twin, and his twin is also in the group, and her name is Vex. Vex and Vax. Vex is played by Laura Bailey. You know her. You know her. (laughs) 
She's in so much. Yeah. I mean, you don't even need to look it up. We we can just tell you, you know her. Yeah. She's in a million different things. Yeah. Whether it's from a cartoon or an anime or a video game, you know her from something. She's adorable. And Vex is a half-elven ranger. And uh, she has a pet bear. Yep. Named Trinket. Which is very cute. Named Trinket. And that's... That's the party. The group. Yeah. Can you keep them all straight? (laughs) We're going to be talking about episodes 1 through 16. That kind of ends the first arc. Yes. Because there are arcs. There are arcs. There are story arcs to this show. (laughs) Which is, you know, basically just a game streamed on Twitch. (laughs) Yep. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's fascinating. The first arc... We kind of jump into the middle of an episode one. Maybe not right in the middle of it, but when they started the show, they pretty much just picked up from where they left off in their home game, which is really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So you're kind of thrown into the middle of it with them, which maybe in this format doesn't work, but if this were a scripted TV show, I think I would find really interesting. I don't think the first episode does a bad job of like letting you know kind of what type of person each character is. No, and I think that largely comes from the actors. Yes. The the players. Yeah. You know, I agree with you that if a TV show kind of just like dropped you in the middle of the story, that would be interesting. And I don't necessarily think that that is the problem here. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it would have been great if we could have seen Vox Machina come together in episode one, you know. Come into Comic Stand near you. That's actually true. (laughs) Yeah, I, I heard about that. That would have been interesting, but I don't think we needed it. I do think that this was a kind of terrible place to start streaming, though. Because of the environment? The the environment and the story itself. Interesting. Elaborate. So the story that the show starts off with is that... Vox Machina, who is kind of just this adventuring group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know anything about how they got together or why they are adventuring. All we know is that they have a friend named Lady Allura who asked them to go to the dwarven city of Craghammer to find her friend, Lady Kima, who went there on a religious quest and just hasn't come back. So they go to Craghammer to find Lady Kima. And there is evil growing yeah. beneath the underground city of Craghammer. Yeah. And then take down said evil. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the basic story. Yeah. So because Craghammer itself is an underground city, like it's within a mountain, yeah. right? It's it's a dwarven city. Going further, they, they then go underneath the city. They need a constant source of light yeah. to be able to see anything. It's very like cavey. There are no open areas. It's all like caverns and Yeah. Their their environment becomes extremely limited. So it does become a lot of like how are we going to get from point A to point B very quickly. Yeah, which can get a little like dry. Yeah. You know, there was one episode where they literally just went in a giant circle. And nothing happened, you yeah. know? And I- <laughs> the other thing about D&D... And it was like a three-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing about D&D that I think is really interesting is that, like, I heard someone say one time, D&D is the game where walking from one side of a continent to the other can take a minute, mm-hmm. but a battle that is actually lasts five minutes can take two hours. In the television show of Critical Role, and this is not the television show, so, like... 
the fact that I'm fascinated by it doesn't mean that everybody else will be. It doesn't mm-hmm. translate. But if it were a television show, then I feel like a lot of that stuff would be cut out. Oh, yeah. Because it does not drive the plot forward. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a lot of like mechanics and D&D stuff. So talking about this from a narrative perspective, it definitely slows it down and it definitely limits, in my opinion, the possibilities of what could happen. Because the reason Jen and I are fascinated by the narrative that comes out of this game of people playing Mm D&D is because it seems like it would be unlikely for a cohesive story to come out of it. Mm -hmm. So the story that comes out of this game they're playing it's not perfect narratively it's got a lot of flaws it's clunky it's slow but it's a lot more cohesive with a much more familiar story structure than you might expect yeah in the last two episodes that we will be referring to in this podcast Mm -hmm. episodes 15 and 16 they have left the underdark but they're still trying to complete one last task to kind of like seal up this little Mm storyline a couple of the characters keep being like have you heard of this happening while we were away and they're referring to specific things regarding their backstory the reason i find the whole adventure underneath craghammer such a poor choice for the first story is because it didn't really offer a lot of opportunity for us to get any character development at all Yeah. I will say that I don't know that it was a choice. No, I know. It was unavoidable, but I find it not a great place to have started for that reason. The environment also really limits, yeah, like, what they can do, but... I know that the arc is longer than I remember it being, but this actually reminds me of something that I wanted to bring up. Because Critical Role is such a behemoth of a time commitment... (laughs) A lot of people, when they decide they want to watch the show, they say to people who have watched it, okay, where can I jump in? Like, is there a place that I can come in? And people will say, oh, you can jump in at this arc or you can jump in at this arc. And that's fine if that's what you want. But I'd like to make the case for starting from the beginning because partially because that's just who I am. If there is a linear story being told, like a television show or whatever, I find it really difficult to jump in in the middle. Mm. Like, I want to go back to the beginning because the first arc is not the best. (laughs) It is definitely the weakest arc. But I I, I would argue that while there isn't a lot of character development that happens in the first arc, the first arc allows the audience to familiarize themselves with the characters so that any character arc that may happen down the line is more impactful because it will be informed by what has already happened, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Well, I see what you mean, but I also disagree in a slight sense. I feel like we didn't get a ton of intimate moments with characters. And what I mean by that is a lot of the defining moments of each character in the first arc were like funny moments. I believe Mm -hmm. Keyleth and Tiberius were the only two characters who really had a moment, who had defining moments where they weren't being funny. Yeah. Tiberius, he like refuses to go in the temple because he knows what the Horn of Orcus is and he refuses to go in the temple because he doesn't want to go anywhere near it and he kind of like abandons the party. And then Keyleth openly does not like Kima. Yeah. And has a moment where she really struggles with 
accepting her into the party. Yeah. And I, I feel like we didn't really get much no, from we the didn't. other characters. But I, I would argue that, and it's not, oh, it's so tough to talk about it narratively. Where, like, there's, because there's this disconnect between what the narrative is because of the type of show it is and what the narrative is if it were cleaned up a bit because Uh like if you want to talk about seasons i don't think that season one would end at the end of the first arc Uh i don't think it would so like i mean i would argue that for for the first season of a show they might not need to have a serious moment with all of their main characters to illustrate the kind of character they are the other thing is that before they started playing on stream and they started streaming every week. They were playing maybe once a month. You know, they, they've talked before about how they kind of had to figure out a little more about their characters since they were playing them every week. Mm-hmm. So that I think that might have driven some of some of that lack of, of character, like, depth or defining moments or development or whatever. But I do think that because they start out as these kind of uh, basic archetypes that that allows them a lot of room to grow. I mean, right from the beginning, all the all the characters have some pretty serious flaws mm-hmm. that I think when I first started watching, I was like, wow, there's a lot of potential for character growth here. Mm-hmm. And it, not a lot necessarily happens in the first arc. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it sets the stage well for the audience to have context for future character growth. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to anything that happens later on. I just know that, like, where I am, I felt, I did feel the lack of defining moments for the characters, you know, especially Vex, the female twin. Mm -hmm. I will say once they leave the Underdark, it gets a little better. Yeah. Percy and Vex barely stand out to me at all. They didn't really do much to progress the story or to, like, stand out as characters and that totally changes as soon as they leave the underdark where yeah. you know you find out that vex is kind of the uh the treasurer of this vox group machina, and yeah. she the, the group calls themselves vox machina by the way <laughs> she she's the treasurer of the group and she is a hardcore haggler yeah <laughs> which is great like that's a great character detail you know and I'm excited to see them grow, but I just think from, like, a narrative standpoint at the beginning, like, these first 16 episodes, yeah. I wanted more, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I, I understand and I think, that. And I think in part it was because of the particular quest that they were doing, you know? Definitely. I, I really think that, like, with how eager so many of the characters have been with asking the DM and the NPCs, like, oh, have you seen, have you heard of the Fire Ashari nearby or have... I, I heard you mention Lord and Lady Briarwood. And even Grog asks about his tribe. Yeah. You know, and I you know, we don't we don't need to see each character's particular arcs. Yeah. But I, I would have appreciated a little more opportunity for characters to make difficult decisions. Now I'm yeah, I don't think you're it's sixteen episodes in though. <laughs> well no, I'm, but that's what we're talking about. Okay, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's just my perspective narratively from where I am now. Yeah. I do think an interesting thing happens with this show. I think part of it is how the players organically play off of each other and are very comfortable with each other. Definitely. Um, where it seems like there are a couple of characters who kind of get the spotlight for each arc. This happens like super organically. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it I think Matt tries to orchestrate and some of it he do- he doesn't. Do you have a specific example from this arc? Well, it's less formed in this arc than in later arcs. But I mean, I would argue that Keyleth takes 
kind of a, a more central role in this arc in terms of her character and probably Tiberius. I mean, like you said, they're the two that kind of have more defining moments during Mm -hmm. this arc the first arc of anything has kind of a heavy um burden yes of introducing the world and introducing the characters and it can be hard for any type of medium and i think that as far as introducing these characters it's kind of hard to do yeah i mean i it didn't diminish my interest in watching the rest of the show yeah yeah you know i mean I'm still I, like I'm I'm going forward still. You know, I'm on episode 17 now. I'm not I didn't just watch it for the podcast. Like I want to continue. So so I totally I acknowledge that it is going to have growing pains. I'm just, you know, yeah. that that's just like kind of part of the reason why I didn't love where it began. You know, yeah. like I I I would probably be part of the group that says don't start on episode 1. You know? Really? Oh, yeah. no, Rachel. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> I disagree, but, you know, whatever. Um, I, I just, I don't know. D&D, as, <clears throat> especially since they're playing D&D, like, there's no, they don't pull punches. Mm-hmm. They're playing the game. And when you're playing D&D, like, it doesn't move quickly. No, and it if, doesn't. if you want it to, then you're kind of playing the wrong game. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that that is another thing that contributes to maybe some narrative struggles as far as, like, it slowing down in places. There is something you said earlier that I want to kind of go back to. Sure. So you mentioned how um, they play off of each other as a group and how that informs the narrative and everything. And I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I was amazed in the first episode when they're in, I believe they're in a bar. Yes. Trinket vexes pet bear, Mm -hmm. pisses someone off. And the whole group kind of works together in that moment to diffuse the situation. Um, Keyleth, the druid, turns into a bear. Scanlan, the bard, starts playing a song and Mm -hmm. they totally just like play it out like oh trinket's a trained circus bear and someone turns trinket into a mouse or something Mm -hmm. so that they can get him out of the way and um i mean it was like a really well executed situation that totally came out of nowhere and that was like yeah you know it ended up being a really delightful moment and it was because i mean this conflict wasn't planned on matt's part you know Mm -hmm. um Someone rolled poorly. poorly and it ended up that Trinket pissed off someone and there was going to be some sort of conflict and they, instead of actually fighting and potentially causing more conflict, mm-hmm. they totally diffused it just by working together. And um, there are a lot of moments like that where things happen and it's really interesting to think about the fact that this was not planned. This just happened organically. Yes, exactly. That's one of my favorite sequences. I always think of that. Like when I think of like in in the in the cartoon of Critical Role, the first episode, that like that's the first episode. I feel like mm-hmm. that whole sequence really does a good job of illustrating each like character's role within the group and stuff mm-hmm. because they are so cohesive and and it was a really smooth thing they pulled off, which is not always Vox Machina style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that another thing about D D as storytelling that is so fascinating to me is the stuff that isn't planned. Mm-hmm. The stuff that Matt can't control because yeah. it's die rolls. I think that's so interesting. It mm-hmm. forces 
you to be flexible in your storytelling. Which is tough. Yeah. And, you know, there are so many moving parts to this game. And then Matt has eight players Mm -hmm. in front of him making decisions that could, like, completely kind of ruin what he has planned. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean... He has to be so on his toes. And mm-hmm. a big example of that in this arc, and there are lots of examples throughout the series, but the biggest example of that in this arc is the character of Clorota. Mm-hmm. He is an NPC, a non-player character, played by Matt. Vox Machina happens upon him in the Underdark. He was a character who they were supposed to find. I believe he was supposed to be a well of information, but they found him sooner than they were supposed to, mm-hmm. and they convinced him to go with them mm-hmm. as an ally because they rolled well. Yeah. And Matt just had to go with it. Mm-hmm. And Clorota becomes kind of a big part of the first arc. I mean, yeah. he's synonymous with the first arc when you, like, talk to fans of the show. Oh, yeah. I'm super interested by the fact that he was not supposed to be a party member, you yeah. know? Because Matt just had to... Roll with it. Yeah. No he- pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to completely come up with, like, an arc for this character, you yeah. know? Including um, the reason they're down there is to rescue this woman, Lady Kima, who has been getting tortured by Clorota's brethren. Yeah, they're, they're a race called Mind Flayers. Think they're, of their Cthulhu faces. Yes. Think of the Ood from Doctor Who, but oh. purple. Uh, <laughs> Little tentacle guys. Yeah. And they they can, like, eat your brain and control your mind. and So cute. Yeah. Adorable. <laughs> and Lady Kima has been getting tortured by mind flayers mm-hmm. for a while. <laughs> yeah. So naturally, when they rescue her and they're like, hey, and she sees that they have a mind flayer on their team, she it, it causes a ton of conflict. Yeah. Which ends up resulting in one of the few defining moments for the characters in this arc, which is when Keyleth has to um, kind of have an argument with the rest of the party because she does not trust Lady Kima. And she chooses Clarota over Lady Kima. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, she ends up being completely wrong about. Yep. (laughs) Clarota betrays the party, eventually, Mm -hmm. and they have to kill him. Which, you know, (laughs) I get it. He's a lovable tentacle face, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, let's describe how they find him, because I think that influences why... Vex and Keyleth in particular feel an attachment to Clarota. Yes. They're on this giant cliffside and below is this giant body of water, which they know has terrible monsters in it. Yes. Um, Scanlan in particular is like, we aren't going down there. We're going nowhere near there. Terrible monsters. No, let's go a different way. Oh, I love the love of my life. And <laughs> there's a cave that they can see down below. And the rest of the party is pretty much like, okay, let's- The men. The men. (laughs) Literally all of the men are like, okay, let's just go. And Keyleth and Vex are like, well, hold on. Can we check it out? Yeah. The men are like, no, No, let's go. We're leaving. And Keyleth and Vex finally decide, no, you know what? We're gonna- Fuck you guys. (laughs) Yeah. And we're gonna take the magic carpet. They say, fuck it. We're gonna, we're gonna go. Yeah. And they go and they find Clarota. Yeah. In the meantime- (laughs) 
the guys are up on the on the cliff and 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 Scanlan because Sam plays hard on comedic irony. Mm-hmm. He's so good at it, and he especially once it becomes apparent that they're about to find something, Scanlan's like, "They're not going to find anything. They're not going to find anything." Yeah, like <laughs> like for comedic effect. When Matt is describing what the girls are finding, mm-hmm. um, Sam, Scanlan's player, says, in the meantime, Scanlan's saying, nah, they're, they're, they're wasting our time. Yeah. You know, like he, <laughs> he's being a good sport about it. Yeah, definitely. Which I appreciated. Yeah, me too, because I remember when I watched it for the first time and I was like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, ladies go. Like, it yeah. was very, like, girl power kind of moment. Yeah, and that's a great instance of, um, character choices in influencing the narrative yeah you know like definitely. like as you said it, it completely changes what was planned and yeah. what was planned kind of doesn't matter yeah you know because we don't see that we have no way of knowing everything matt has planned yeah how it was supposed to go yeah, yeah. so you know but it, it, it is interesting to think about and yeah. i honestly i think that it made for a more interesting story you know it, it created some conflict in this story which as i've said wasn't really full of a lot of conflict otherwise yeah there are a lot of instances in this arc i don't i don't know if it changes of um what i like to call video game plotting <laughs> so when they're in the underdark and they uncover this dark conspiracy going on. It turns out there is this evil relic called the Horn of Orcus, which an evil monster was using to do evil, basically. (laughs) They defeat the bad guy and retrieve the horn, and they have to bring it somewhere sacred and safe to keep someone evil from getting their hands on it. When they arrive at this temple, they're told, we have the perfect place to put it, but there are some spiders that have taken over the temple, so you gotta go kill the spiders. Uh (laughs) In a perfect, perfectly crafted, um, solely narrative world, yeah, that wouldn't happen unless it was, like, going to have implications later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but in video game world... That makes for a more interesting experience right. if you have to go do more before the the arc is complete. Right. And that kind of ends up being the last step they take in completing this arc and they just have to fight some spiders. And, yeah. you know, it <laughs> it's just fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, they are not... still playing a game. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, not, it's not a perfect narrative. I just think that it's like the narrative that they do get out of just playing this game is like really interesting and how complex and compelling it can be. It is. And I actually really do think that the story would edit down really well. Me too. You know, um, as I said earlier, there's a pretty cohesive story structure going on. The thing about these video game plot points is that they could be edited out really easily. You know, like if, if Critical Role were made into a TV show, a lot of these video game plot points wouldn't be necessary and they could be cut out or altered dramatically to make them more relevant, you know, and it would be fine, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, you'd still have a core story there that really made sense and was interesting and offered opportunity for the viewers to get to know and grow attached to characters. Something I wanted to mention because it is a big part of the arc in that, well, specifically in hindsight, and this is the one thing that I'm allowing myself to talk about in hindsight as someone who has watched the entire series, to 
people who might not have watched and and Rachel who has only watched this arc um Ashley Johnson who plays Pike got cast in a TV show mm-hmm. shortly after they decided they were going to stream the uh, critical role so she spends the majority of the year in New York filming the TV show, meaning that she is absent from the party. Ashley still, like, she'll Skype in sometimes, she'll jump in when she's home, but at the end of this arc, she leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's actually not there in the very beginning either, which I think is uh, really interesting in hindsight. Like, knowing that she comes in and out of the narrative as it is, it's really interesting to me that in the beginning, it, mm-hmm. they start without her. Yeah, I think it's the first three episodes. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the end of the arc is them saying goodbye to her. I think that's really an interesting precedent to set in the first arc for a character who, you know, comes in and out of the narrative. Yeah, I mean, once again, just totally organic that it happened yeah, that way. It's you like know? weird art imitating life kind of like. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I really commend Matt for the way he both introduces her character and the way he says goodbye like the way the way he sends her off because what happens is when they are they're already in the underdark you know pike was not even in craghammer with them was she nope yeah so they have to figure out a way for her to be able to come back in and yeah matt makes it so that she has a vision sent to her by her god serenry right Mm mm-hmm both that provides the party with information that they need. Mm-hmm. And um, it also makes her random appearance less like jarring, like, oh, guys, I caught up, you know? Yeah, like, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she was led to them. Yes. You know, I-, I thought that was a pretty smart way to do it. I mean, it's not, in a it, once again, in a perfect world, if this were just a written story, no, that wouldn't happen that way. But yeah. As far as narratives go, it, it didn't make me roll my eyes, you know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it was executed well, in my opinion. It was no more or less contrived than some TV shows I've seen. I mean, you, you know, I, some of the ways that writers will put a character on a bus is, yeah. like, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, but with, with Pike, it does feel more organic. The end of the arc, when she leaves, is really emotional, you texted me the other night. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually got teary-eyed. I don't cry during no, things. She um, doesn't. <laughs> I do, though. <laughs> yeah, Jen cries at everything. But um, I got a little teary-eyed, um, in part because of Ashley Johnson's, yeah. you know, reaction. Yeah. Were you um, watching it on video? Yeah. Yeah. Here's Here's a little bit of context. So Jen told me to watch until Pike leaves. At the time, we didn't know when that was going to happen. And then finally, I started episode 16. And then you were like, oh, by the way, it's episode 16 that Pike leaves. To which I was like, what? That is so I don't remember that. Weird. Interesting. No, no, no. In my head. Oh, okay. In my head, I was thinking that is really weird because there has been no indication whatsoever that Ashley will be leaving. Yeah. And what happens is at the end of the episode, I believe it's Scanlan who's like, is there a temple of Serenry nearby? And they, they go to it. And um, an old woman basically comes up to Pike and says, oh, you're you're a cleric of Saren Ray. We need you. You have to stay and help us. Yeah. Like, which Pike says yes to. And there's a lot like it's not just that. That sounds very video gamey. But there there is like like it's very clear how important to Pike her deity is. It's oh, very, yeah. No, no. I, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was going to say like, you know, while it, it is like tacked on at the end, sure, yeah. it doesn't feel like that it felt 
really organic, you know? Yeah. I, if you didn't tell me that this was the episode Pike was leaving, I would have been like, wait, what? I you remember know? watching it for the first time. I had no idea Ashley was going to leave. Mm-hmm. So it was happening and I was like, wait, like, as I realized, I was like, wait, 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 yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, it felt organic for them to be going to the Temple of Saren, right? Because, yeah. like, why wouldn't they, you know? Sure, and, yeah. <laughs> like, they, as Jen said, they talk about Saren Ray a lot. They talk about Pike's God and how important she is to her. Mm-hmm. So, like, it just seems natural that they'd be going to the Temple of Saren, Ray, mm-hmm. And then it then seemed natural that Pike would have to choose to stay. Yeah. I will say I wanted more of a touching moment between her and Scanlan. <laughs> Please continue talking about that as if my life depends on it. Okay, so we haven't mentioned this yet, but Scanlan is in love with Pike. Which which creates this interesting I don't want to say inner conflict because it's not. This interesting character dynamic within Scanlan himself, where he is a womanizer, but, like... But he's in love with Pike. But he's in love with Pike, but, like, I... In in this arc, you don't ever see him show any interest in any other woman. So, while you get the sense that he is a womanizer, you don't see him, like, hitting up other ladies, but he is hardcore hitting up Pike, you know? Which Pike is is very, like, polite and (laughs) obliging, (laughs) but not... Um, necessarily reciprocating uh-huh. of his affections. Yeah. Which Scanlan is mostly okay with, I yeah. guess. <laughs> uh-huh. Their relationship is super cute and interesting, and I'm interested to see where it goes. I think it is dancing a line, though. Yes, it um, is. And I also, <laughs> I also really like the way that it complements the story, you know? Mm. I like that Scanlan's character has more to him than just his love of Pike. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I like that he can exist as a character without Pike being there, which he does. Yeah. He has to, you yeah. know? And I, I really like that. Me too. Like, even from a narrative perspective, um, for example, when Kima and Clarota, when they bash heads when they first rescue Kima, what ends up happening is Kima is saying, I'm not going with you guys. They are obviously here to rescue Kima. They need her to go with them. Yeah. And they don't want to abandon Clarota because he's a part of the party now. You know, they trust him, you know, for some reason. <laughs> falsely. But <laughs> so th- they need Kima to come with them. So Vax steps up, the the male twin, and he says whatever he says. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, uh-huh. It fails. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of other party members are trying to, like, talk over him and everyone fails so from a narrative perspective what's happening is just a bunch of characters being like come on let's let's do this you have to come with us and trying to convince her and she just keeps going no 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 and finally scanlan steps up and he's like okay kima here's the thing either you come with us or you don't this is your last chance if you say no bye and she agrees that works what happens is he rolls extremely high (laughs) and the dm decided it was a high enough role to convince this character. But narratively, that shows that Scanlan is the guy who can make things happen. Yeah. Like, that happens quite a bit, actually, you know? Like, he kind of has these interesting moments for his character where he arises as, like, a voice of reason amidst this chaos that all the other characters are causing, you know? (laughs) What's interesting about D&D, you want your game to play out as a narrative. That Mm -hmm. is the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. 
And one way to help accomplish that is by having a balanced party. So in a story, when you have eight members of a party, each character should play a specific role. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for when you're playing D&D. But when you have eight different people who all want to be the hero, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. You know, Jen and I have experienced this <laughs> every single time we've played D&D. It's so, so difficult to have a cohesive party. Yeah. You know, it is, I would say it's nearly impossible. Vox Machina does an amazing job, but they're not perfect at it. You know, no. they, they don't always know when to step back and let specific characters do what they're best at. No. Not always. They They do it a lot, you know, like, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're not completely oblivious to how this works, but, you know, they could be better. And mm-hmm. in situations where charisma is the needed skill, I like when Scanlan gets to show his stuff. Me too. <laughs> hey, Rachel. Yeah? I love you. I love you too. <laughs> so in that regard, I want to talk about Keyleth a little. Yes, me too. Because Keyleth does some cool shit. Yeah, she does. Uh, there are so many instances where Keyleth is the reason shit happens narratively. Mm-hmm. For example, they spend at least an hour in one episode arguing about how they're going to get past this giant camp of evil dwarves. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it was so annoying listening to them argue for like an hour <laughs> <laughs> about how they were going to make it happen, you know? And... <laughs> Finally, Keyleth saves the day and ends this horrible argument by saying, oh, I can cast a spell that will make them think that this giant ledge is further away than it is. And basically, all of the Durgar just chase after the party. They all just fall off the the ledge because Keyleth casts the spell. And that is a brilliant solution. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that would make for great narrative moments... And great cinematic moments are all because of Keyleth. Oh, yeah. She's powerful. Yeah. I mean, like it's I not said, just druids are overpowered. It's not just that she's powerful. No, she's for creative. Sure. She is creative. You know? Yeah. Um, like when she turns into a shark and is able to pull around the party as like the motor of their boat. She does a lot of really creative things like that that make for interesting moments within the narrative. Yeah. Here's something that I feel like this segues nicely into. It's the last thing I want to talk about. Okay. I have seen the whole show. Mm-hmm. You have not. Mm-hmm. I would love to continue talking about this show with you. Okay. I, I would like to know what you are anticipating, what you would like to see. And I'm going to try to keep my face as straight as I can. <laughs> okay. I talked to you a little bit about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see Keyleth step up as the leader more often. Yeah. I really think that of all the characters, sometimes not every party needs a leader, mm-hmm. but there are times when Vox Machina would really benefit from a leader who could like delegate yeah. <laughs> tasks. And I would like to see Keyleth do that more. Do I think it's going to happen? Not necessarily. <laughs> um, it is a part of her backstory that she, you know, she's on this yeah, yeah. Uh, quest to kind of become the leader of her tribe. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, we didn't really get to go into this, but I really do think that of all the characters, you know, I, I really think that Keyleth stepping up as leader of the party would be such an interesting character plot, you know, mm-hmm. and such an interesting development to her character because she really comes off as very young and naive at times and yeah. would, but, but still wise, you know, like I said, she has some brilliant solutions to things. Yeah. And 
I would love to see a story arc of her, like a continuing one throughout the show of, of her getting more authority amidst the rest of the group. You know, like how she was like, oh, let's go check out this cave and everyone dismissed her. Yeah. You know? Except for Vex. Except for Vex. But, you know, like Vex wasn't arguing it as as much as Keyleth was. Yeah. And Keyleth had to say, fine, we're going to split the group, you know? Which, don't do that. But <laughs> in this instance, it was justified. Yeah, in this instance, do it. I- I'd like to see her character become more authoritative and for people to listen to her more. Mm-hmm. I'd like for Grog to take on a more prominent role. Um, I love his character a lot mm-hmm. and I would like for him to become more than comic relief, which he, he is right now. Yeah, Scanlan as well, though Scanlan does kind of have that more emotional core to him with Pike and everything, you know, yeah. like there's, there's emotion there. Yeah. There's something a little more serious. This, this has all been so fun for me. <laughs> so hey there, I hope you enjoyed that. Me too. I hope it wasn't too inaccessible. <laughs> <laughs> too nerdy. <laughs> also, I'm super extra in this episode and I apologize. That's how she is all the time. Just, hey, for, uh... just so everyone knows. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> At any rate, um, I hope that... Maybe our discussion inspired you to go check out Critical Role if you haven't already. Or inspired you to maybe check out D&D. It's a really fun and rewarding game. And the podcast for for Critical Role is super easy. And they, again, their new campaign, which is brand new and easy to jump into, streams Thursdays live on Twitch. If you would like to find us online, you can check out our website. One Person's Trash is our treasure.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, come follow us, at Optiot, that's O-P-T-I-O-T, and on Instagram at OptiotPod. Okay. Bye, listener. Bye. Bye. Until next time. <laughs> Am I supposed to do the do-do-do-do-do-do-do? No. Oh, okay. So it's played out. Spell um, the tea, Jen. Spell it. But don't really, because this... Your phone is right there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna let and your dog out. wants to leave us. <laughs> You're both from the dollar store. Why can't you just go together easily? I love and that not- we're doing a lot of explaining. Of, of like, okay, so D&D, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> Druid, the best class. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, Druids and 5e are broken. They are overpowered. <laughs> Druids are basically forest wizards. <laughs> yeah, she's she's kind of the avatar. Yeah. It is so weird to hear you spout the plot points of this show. You mentioned Lord and Lady Braybook, Braybrook or whatever. Briarwood. Gray, Briar, whatever. Briarwood. <laughs> when I get <clears throat> that feeling, I want Clarota Skin them make you feel good. And like... <laughs> smother it in barbecue sauce and then put it back in for 10 minutes. (laughs) That's going to make the bloopers.